Hello, and welcome to Rollins Around Town. I'm Sam Stark, and I'm the Vice President of Communications and External Relations here at Rollins. Rollins Around Town is a showcase of outstanding people who make dynamic and important contributions to the Rollins campus and throughout Central Florida. In either case, these are difference makers who uplift the mission and brand of Rollins and who help make our region a special place to live, learn, and work. Today, I am delighted to welcome Carla Borsoy. Carla is a graduate of Rollins and earned her MBA at the Crummer Graduate School of Business. She has a passion and talent for organizations taking out their science to the masses in health and wellness technology products. Right now, she brings that to life as the Vice President of Marketing and Customer Experience for HUM, a neurotech startup building a wearable patch designed to boost your working memory, helping professionals with focus and productivity. Carla, welcome to Rollins Around Town, and thanks for being with us today. Well, good morning. If you really know Rollins, the Borsoy name should not be unfamiliar. No offense, Carla, but your father, Ed, was a longtime professor of Spanish and served as the faculty rep for athletics to the NCAA, and uh, so he sort of makes that name quite famous, at least in my mind, and I know many others. I know he still comes to sporting events when he can, and truly one of my favorite teachers from my day as a student here. So I have to ask by saying, how's Ed Borsoy these days? He's great. You know, one thing that he has been doing for the past maybe 10 years that I absolutely love is that he writes and records his own music at home. Wow. So he uses GarageBand and he has like a (laughs) microphone hooked up to his computer and he just writes and records songs. And um, he actually has a website. You can go to edborsoy.com and check out his music. But it's really his passion, and it's something that's really been fun to watch him pursue over the past several years. That, to me, summarizes, you know, what I think of him is just – He's just a cool dude. And so here he is. I'm not even going to guess his age or say his age, but he's doing stuff like that, and that's just that's just bad. I, I just <laughs> I love, love it. it. I mean, it just, it's, a, it's just a passion for lifelong learning, right? And to con- I mean, how many people do you know in their late 80s who are, like, figuring out how to use GarageBand? And my favorite was, you know, years ago it was, like, you need to buy this off of CD Baby. And then he was like, you need to like my video on YouTube. And now it's like, I need the spins on Spotify. I'm like, who are you and how do you know these things? That's right. I hope you, uh, I hope he paid you to mention his uh, website. That's well, at least you should get something out of that. So start by giving us sort of your quick story. You know, obviously, or I'm assuming you grew up here. He was already a teacher when, when we came to Rollins. We were a year apart. I'm a year, a year older than Carla. Um, but what, what was, what's your sort of quick story that brought you to Rollins? You know, it was one of those things where it was my entire childhood was spent at Rollins. Originally, my dad's uh, offices were in Pinehurst, where I actually ended up later being the house manager, okay. you know, all of those different things. But it was always something in my life. We were here for basketball games or baseball games. We went to summer camp here. And of course, I was like, there is no way in hell I am going to Rollins. <laughs> no way. And I really wanted to go someplace else. I really didn't want to go to Rollins. But, you know, I'll, I'll never forget. We had a dinner party at our house, and I'd gotten my college acceptances in. And Ed Cohen, who was another professor, yeah. was here. And he said, I think you really do want to go to Rollins. You just don't want to admit it. And I was like, damn it. And he was right. And, <laughs> you know, and I and he and it was absolutely the right decision for me. I got to do so many different things here on campus and, and got a chance to participate 
and everything. Obviously, here at WPRK, I worked at PRK all the way through grad school, loved it, you know, was part of the theater department, was in a sorority, was in Pinehurst. I got to really embrace a lot of things that if I had gone someplace much bigger, I know I wouldn't have done. I would have probably picked one and stayed in my lane. Yeah. Do you remember what you thought of Rollins at the time? I mean, well, well, some part of it sounds like you were trying to, you know, sort of squash the value and the educational opportunities at Rollins. Do you just as a as a kid growing up here? Do you remember what you thought of Rollins in terms of sort of academic reputation and or impact in, in and throughout the community? I have to say it wasn't probably entirely positive. I'm laughing because I'm looking at the WPRK sign. And I remember somebody once saying it stood for we're pretty rich kids. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of that reputation. And once I got here, I think it really shifted when I could see what I could do from an academic perspective or I could see the engagement. And to be honest, it has continued to blow me away over the last, you know, since I've, uh, however many years since I graduated. But as I come through the campus and I see the collaboration, I've been really impressed by that. I mean, I'm really excited about what they've done in the Bush Science Center and just talking to some of the professors there in terms of how do we design for cross-collaboration between different disciplines and then getting students into that. So those were things I saw happening much further after I left. and And I really came to a deeper appreciation over time that I didn't have when I was younger. Yeah, for sure. You, We're going to talk about what you just mentioned, sort of the WPRK uh, brand challenge of Rollins, but we're going to talk about that in a little bit. You, you just touched on a lot of your extracurricular activities. Um, how, how would you break down your learning experience at Rollins, you know, sort of the in-classroom versus out-of-classroom um, value proposition and skill development? Well, you know, I am so grateful I got to try so many different types of classes. It, I went to summer school every year, which I don't know why. I'm overachiever or something. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I had a major. I had two minors. And actually, if I had done like two more classes, I would have had a third minor. You know, I, I was able to experience a lot of different things academically. And I, I for me, the number one thing I took away from college that has carried me through my career is – I can go learn anything, right? I, don't, I can find a passion and go explore it. So yes, my major was Spanish and I had a minor in theater and a minor in Australian studies, but I also took a ton of anthropology classes. I took psychology classes. I took, like, I didn't, I took art history classes. I didn't just stay in one lane. And that has served me very well through the course of my career. And that's really you know, I, I, I've had a few other alumni on the show, and I think that's a really a common theme is just the ability to learn. I mean, it sounds so basic, uh, but the ability to learn and adapt. Are there, are there classes? Are there teachers that, that you sort of still have either a life lesson that, that's, that kind of hangs close and, and is still really valuable to you? I don't know that there's a life lesson. I think there was just a deep appreciation for the subject matter and For example, I had Bob Moore for anthropology, who was just incredible. I ran into him right before the shutdown, and I was like, oh, my God, you know, how are you? And I was so excited to see him. But it was more those classes were the ones that actually ended up being foundational for my career because I ended up doing a lot of, like, consumer insights work and deep Mm. dives on humanity and, like, what are people saying? And so – those early lessons there were things I took with me, but there isn't like a single nodal moment that yeah. sticks out. You then went to Crummer. I did. What was your inspiration to do that as a Spanish major and uh, Australian <laughs> studies and theater minor? 
Yeah, you know, it was one of those things where Annie Kerr, who had been the head of development, who's now um, the president over at Florida Southern, Mm -hmm. she kept saying, Carla, I really think you would like Cromer. You should really check it out. And I kept doing all these businessy things. But, you know, my parents are both academics and I didn't grow up in a businessy household. And so I thought, you know what, let me go to Kramer and just see if I can figure this stuff out. <laughs> and, you know, it was great. I, I appreciated so many things about Kramer. And in particular, one of the things that they really stressed was technology. That mm-hmm. was one of the core offerings. They were one of the very few business schools that offered a laptop with software. So mm-hmm. you had to you had to bring your laptop to class. You had to learn how to use different programs for spreadsheets and for presentations and all of that. And that sort of led me to be really predisposed to knowing that I could use software. It sounds so funny, but one of the number one lessons I learned from Crummer is from Dr. Plain, who has since passed on. But he talked so much about just video game it. Just use the software. <laughs> you can't break it. Just figure it out. And let me tell you, when I've worked on some weird stuff, you know, and it's like, okay, how does this work? How do I make this? How do I do this? How do I figure this out? And that just reinforced a lot of the lessons I'd learned in undergraduate too. That's fantastic. So first job out of Crummer was? British Airways. Nice. Nice. And so what'd you do there? And how did you get that job? Yeah. So that was corporate sales. Uh, you know, I'll never forget the first day after graduation, there were a bunch of us sitting around after Crummer and we all looked at each other and we're like, day one, unemployment. <laughs> and, you know, it's one of those things where you just didn't know. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, to be honest. I had had these grand aspirations in high school, but the more you learn about the world, the more you learn that there's all these jobs that you never knew existed. And for kids who are graduating today, you know, the jobs that they might have two years from now don't exist right now. Right. So that predisposition to learning is is so critical. But anyway, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I had done a lot of sales in my, you know, a lot of direct sales in, in my internships and things like that. So a friend had gone to work for British Airways he's, and he said, you know, they have this training program. I think you would be great for it. And I ended up going to work for them out of their Miami office doing corporate sales. So it was visiting travel agencies and working on contracts with corporate clients to get them to use British Airways as their preferred carrier. Fantastic. What a great, uh, great first first job. You, you've had some really impressive jobs um, with some some impressive brands. I'm guessing some of them were startups and, and maybe still are. How would you describe your career journey from British Airways to um today, which we'll talk about. Yeah, so I'll, I was at British Airways, and I was it was not t- working out well for various reasons. But I, I a, a guy I was sort of seeing gave me a book and said, "You should read this book, and you will move to California, and you will work in technology." <laughs> And I read the book and I was like, hell yeah, I'm moving to California. I want to work on this stuff. Um, And so when I got to California, I still quite didn't know what that meant, though. And I remember being at a party and I said, I just want to do interesting things. I, I just want to work on interesting stuff. And it took a while to get there, but I got there. And a lot of that was just meeting people, getting to know folks, kind of Work. I did a lot of temping, which I don't even think exists as a category now. Now we would just call it freelancing or gig economy work. But, you know, I met a lot of people that way and just had this. I met this woman who just really liked me when I was doing some of that and hired me to work for a bank. And we were working on their first online lending product. Like people didn't take loans over the Internet then. And so we were working on on those things. And then she went to 
a startup in the first dot-com boom and said, you have to come with me. And I followed her there. And I just, you know, I, I, I've made very strategic decisions in my career of like, oh, I need to go get this skill. So I need to go take this kind of job now. Or I need to do that. But it's all been about, well, what, what do I need to learn, right? Mm-hmm. What is the thing that I want to do next? And then finding those opportunities. But the other thing I would say is just building a network and following up with people and checking in on folks and, yeah. you know, getting to know what they're interested in too. That's so smart. I, you know, and I, most of your career has been in California and I wonder about the Rollins brand and the Rollins reputation for, you know, someone like you out there. Are you, are you a single fish or um, did people know of Rollins and kind of what was the, uh, what was the, the brand reputation Rollins had out there? Yeah. So, you know, I moved out to California in 1996. So when I did that, no, people kept asking me if it was Hollins. Hollins. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's Rollins. And and people didn't know. And I think it really shifted over time. As and, and the other thing is when I moved to the Bay Area, I'll never forget. I went to the alumni house and they were very nice. And they're like, here's the list of alums in the Bay Area. And I, I mean, I'm, I don't know. It was like maybe 20 people. There were, I mean, I'm exaggerating. It was probably more than that. But that was the entire Bay Area. Right. But by the time I left, you know, I had run the Crummer alumni group for about eight years out there. I would go to various events. And then I remember going to an event. There were probably 200 people there. And I was like, where did all these people come from? <laughs> but, you know, as I was, since I was the Crummer, per, you know, contact for the Bay Area and head of the Crummer Alumni cr- Club, every person who was at Crummer who wanted to move to the Bay Area would invariably call me. Right. And that was a really good way also to build my network, but also to help people and, and help people to know, you know, this is what it's like out here. And, you know, some people would have very smart questions around, you know, how much is it going to cost me to live there? You know, where, you know, can I get a job here and live here? And you're like, oh, no, that's actually like a two and a half hour commute. And I know it's only 30 miles, but don't do it. Right. <laughs> so there, there were just, you know, I ended up getting to know a lot of people that way. And it felt like over time that that uh, that built. And I had a really interesting experience with one of the Crummer alums, who's actually also a Rollins alum, who had called me. He had so many great questions over the years, you know, before he moved to the Bay Area. He moved to the Bay Area, I ended up advising his startup. He shut down a startup. Then he came and worked with me at another company that was founded by a Rollins alum. Nice. So, you know, like Sam Hawking. So Sam started his company. We were both working there. But, you know, like, so you ended up having these relationships that cascaded like that as well. That's so cool. The uh, the, the networking and the relationship building, I you know, I think is, I guess it happens everywhere. But I, but I feel like Rollins alumni especially take that very seriously. So, yeah, I mean, we and I think we all kind of in the Bay Area, it felt like, Oh, we're the only ones here. And we mm-hmm. have this special bond because if you went to Rollins and you're all the way out here, like we know it. Right. So. We got to help each other out. Exactly. So here's some of the companies that uh, that that you've worked for. I'm, I'm curious if there's a, a favorite or, or anyone that still sort of stands out. But um, Guinness Import Company, The Money Store, Third Age Media, uh, Baby Center, a division of J&J. Uh, TNSNFO. Um, so you got to tell maybe a little bit more about that. IAC Search and Media, Ask.com, AOL, um, iMatchative, NEMA Labs, Patreon. Like you've had some awesome, uh, better, B-E-D-D-R, just for people who don't know, uh, Wanamaker and now Hum. So, you know, some obviously worldwide brands and, and very well known, some in that startup space. Uh, 
any any of them like sort of stand out as like just the best experiences? They all stand out as as very different experiences, and and you know I think the early part of your career you're kind of figuring out what you enjoy doing and what you don't. And when I was at Baby Center, I really ended up doubling down and working on market research and all of those pieces. And TNS is one of the largest market research companies in the world. They're owned by Kant, or they were, wait, Kantar of WPP. They're owned by one of the large advertising, um, global advertising agencies now. But I worked for them and really got a great sense of what disciplined market research and it looks like. And then I went to Ask, and Ask was just like an incredible experience of Working for an iconic brand, they were in the midst of changing. And it's funny because you say ICH Surgeon Media. It was actually Ask.com for five years. But as they rebranded or mm-hmm. did different things at a macro level, Got it. The, you know, it's like you're, that's the joke. You're sitting in the same seat for five years and the company name changes six times. Right. Six but yeah, it, that was, those were incredible foundational experiences. And as I said, I tried to make strategic decisions. I could have stayed at Ask.com forever. Incredible team. I still talk to the people that are there. The CEO is the guy who hired me. You know, the CEO right now is the guy who hired me. Just really great team. But I was comfortable. Yeah. And it was that was when I was like, oh, I'm too comfortable. I need to go learn something new. And I had an opportunity to go to AOL. Literally, I had interviewed. This is when you talk about relationships. I had interviewed at another company while I was at Ask, and it wasn't the right fit. But I just really had a mind meld with the hiring manager. And a year later, he went to AOL and he called me out of the blue and he's like, we need to talk. (laughs) We went and had coffee and he's like, write a job description for yourself. I'm hiring you. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, like these are the kind of things that that happen. But it was an opportunity for me to go to AOL, learn new products, meet new people, embrace new challenges. And at that time, a lot of it was, what are we doing with mobile? Mm -hmm. Like mobile had like AOL didn't really have a mobile strategy. What are we going to do with mobile products? And, you know, getting the chance to be in on the ground floor of some of that stuff and really be innovative was powerful. So, so you know, I, I, again, it's it's all of those experiences were incredible. And then I thought, you know, I really want to go do something hard. <laughs> I want to go to an early stage startup and where you don't know anything. And, and that's really where I've spent the last several years. Patreon is a little bit of a different um, beast because I, I went there after I'd worked for two early stage startups. And then I went back to more early stage startups. <laughs> but, you know, I think those stand out because you are working on 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 things that, that have no answers. Like, how do I make this product likable? How do I get find customers? Who are the people who are going to buy it? Um, does it look good? You know, all right. of these things are, are questions that you have to answer. That, so they stand out in that way. Uh, and that's that's been something I've been very passionate about is how do I help companies get get out the door? That's so impressive. All I can think about is you're going to come back and teach. You're going to come back and oh, no. teach one day. <laughs> um, so let's talk about where you are today. You're the vice president of marketing and customer experience at HUM, uh, H-U-M-M, just for those uh, counting at home. Uh, the website, obviously, which I spent a little time on uh, before the show, is super impressive. And and the product, I think it's a single product now, yes. uh, appears to be, I mean, life-changing for many. Um, so share what HUM is and, and what the product is. Yeah, I actually have one with me. I know people on the – people listening won't be able to see it, but at least I can kind of show it to to you. It's, it's a comprehensive solution for people who are looking for a boost to productivity or focus – it is a wellness product, so it is not something that has to be 
you know, licensed by the FDA or anything like that. But basically, it is a wearable patch. You put it on your forehead, and we provide a little bit of electrical stimulation to your brain, which boosts the theta waves in your brain, helping you with that focus and concentration. So it is really... It's about a 20% boost is what most people find who use it. And then it pairs with an app. And then over time, as you wear the product, we can start to predict like, hey, CM, it works best for you on, on in the afternoons around four. And, you know, Carla, it's best for you if you use it in the morning at 8.30. Right. And it's best if you use it for this task or that task. So is it something that one wears all day? No, you wear it just for 16 minutes, and okay. it provides about a 90-minute boost. Wow. So it's – um. It, I'm trying to. Th- it's like a, a oversized band aid. Exactly. I mean, that's a bad. This is not the pretty version of it. These are the alpha alpha versions, but yes. Um, that's amazing. So, how's it going? Yeah, you know, we just finished up an alpha of 65 people, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're working with these like neurotech, you know, <laughs> products, it's like 65 people, and we did that under the auspices of an IRB, which is an institutional review board. While wow. we've been waiting for FDA clearance. Um, as a, as a wellness device. But I, it, what I think it's really fascinating about that is people are like, I don't want to send it back. And we're like, well, the battery's going to run out at some point. So you can only use it so many times. They're like, can you send me more? So that's been really fun and finding out what people are using it for. We weren't certain, you know, we had ideas that people would use it for high focus work or for even just kind of starting their day and getting motivated. But what shocked us was that about 20% of the time people are using it for meetings and they're using it to perform in a meeting. They're using it to retain information they've learned in a meeting. They're using it to uh, to brainstorm. So those were things that we didn't anticipate. And that's why you end up doing this consumer research. You have no idea. Right. And going back to anthropology, you know, similar to another product I worked on, NEMA, we also have to think about how does it subvert the expected experience somebody has in their normal daily life. So let me take a step back. NEMA is a portable food sensor for people with food sensitivities so they can test their food before they eat. Mm. A little complicated, but if you have celiac disease, you cannot tolerate any amount of gluten whatsoever. So this product allowed you to test your food before you ate, and then you could see if it had gluten in the sample you had tested. In that situation, you're completely changing the dining experience. You're changing what it means to go out because right. now you're introducing a device at the table. You have other people around you. You're, you've got a delay. Here, what we, what we have to work on is what is it like to be in an office wearing, as you say, something that looks like a Band-Aid on your forehead? And what is it saying to other people around you? Do you need this boost? Right. Do you Are you now going to be better in the next thing you're working on because you're wearing this? So those are the questions that now I have to go answer as we prepare for our launch in 2022. It's launch in 2022. Is it um, uh, direct to consumer? I mean, yes. where's, where, where, where are we going to find these? Yeah, so right, it'll be direct to consumer sold through our website. There are some requirements in order to purchase, like for example, um, pregnant women shouldn't be using it, people who've had um, strokes or any sort of um, mild cognitive impairment. So those things will be sold, will sell directly. And then, you know, long term, there are a lot of clinical applications, and that will go through a different process with the FDA to substantiate yeah. those claims. What about students? So, you know, what's really interesting is since what we're doing is essentially boosting your working memory, your working memory 
is at its peak when you're in your 20s. So what we found is that students don't get as much of a benefit as, say, people maybe our age Hmm. because your working memory declines over time. And so that's a lot of why, you know, people are like students and students are like, yeah, it's okay. And then you get people who are a little bit further along in their career like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Please don't stop sending me patches. So those are the things that happen. I don't know if you can answer this. Is there a price point? A range? Yeah, you know, it'll probably be between $50 and $75 a month, and that will give you – each patch can be used a certain number of times, and that would give you enough sessions to do almost once a day during the yeah. week. Yeah, so it'll almost be a subscription-type yes, program? Yes, exactly, exactly. Fascinating. So uh, remind uh, – or, or share the website for HUM. Yes, it's just thinkhum.com, and as you said, it's T- – well, it's think, T-H-I-N-K, and then hum, H-U-M-M.com. Uh, and – classic, you know, uh, real world story, like, right, HUM is based in? We're based in Berkeley. Okay. And, I, you know, it's, this is, again, I, I met the team in 2019. And I was like, I want to work on this. Uh, you know, my mom has advanced dementia, and the long term applications of this technology can help with with those things. And again, wow. not right now, but those will be clinical applications that are made later. But I, you know, I really, from a personal level, really bought into this. So I had met the team, moved to Florida, was working remotely and was like my, you know, my contract calls for me to be in California once a month. March 2020 rolls around and I didn't see the team again until June this year. Oh so gosh. that, you know, it's just a, a very different uh, expect, ex- expectation and, and, and execution. But yeah. yeah, so I work weird hours. When you said, can you come early in the morning? I'm like, you yeah, nobody, I'm not even on, nobody's online until <laughs> right. noon. That's fantastic. So. Very cool. Well, I hope people will check it out. I took the little quiz. Oh, and, good. Uh, oh, the yes, working memory quiz. Yes. Uh, yes. Very impressive. And uh, yeah, I, we certainly wish you good luck on that and can't wait to see HUM as a regular uh, product in the office space and other places. Um, so you, you, you're back in Central Florida, right? We, we sort of talked about your, your journey a little bit a couple years ago. Um, particularly in the space that you're at, like, do you, what's your take on, on central Florida? Because Orlando has this tagline, which maybe you've seen or not through the Orlando Economic Partnership, you know, that does, you know, sort of corporate recruiting. Um, Orlando, you don't know the half of it, right? Which makes yeah. a lot of sense that everybody thinks of, of Orlando as Mickey Mouse and Shamu and, and Universal. Um, what, what's Central Florida like to you after all these years coming back? Yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised. So I, I think, unfortunately, COVID derailed some of my efforts. But one <laughs> yeah. of the first things I started doing was going to meetups and going to events so mm. I could start to meet people here. And there's a lot of energy to try and make things happen. There's a really great Slack group if you're a software programmer called ODevs. So like I kind of lurk in there, even though I'm not an <laughs> not a programmer or software you know person. But you know, there's those things. There's the Florida Venture Forum, which is an, yes. a, a conference. And literally I, I moved and my brother's like, I think you should go to, no, actually a venture capitalist said, you should go to this event. My brother said, oh, you should talk to this guy. And he's like, you should go to this event. And it was incredible. And I'm going to that again in in October. So those have been really interesting to see. Like the ecosystem is working very hard to grow itself. And, you know, I I think the the challenge here is that just the deal sizes are not what I'm used to seeing, like from a venture capital perspective, but it's coming. And, you know, I talked to... Oh, the name of the man is going to escape me, but somebody who kind of does a lot of the work out at UCF and trying to cultivate these these um, startups. And you know, he said, all we can do is create the environment. And I've been blown away by what's happening out at Lake Nona. And yes. again, I just I feel like there's a lot of energy here. There's a lot of people that have moved here, too, especially in the last two years who are like, 
I don't want to live and pay, you know, $5,000 a month in mm-hmm. rent. I can move to Orlando. I can get a huge house, like whatever. Um, but we're so I, I, I've been really impressed by the fact that the community is now starting to glue itself together. There's a lot of energy. And it just was such a pleasant surprise. I was a little leery because I was like, oh, gosh, am I going to have to keep going back? To-? And I don't think that's the case. That's great. I love to hear that. So how about your, you know, your observations about Rollins College, which, again, you've been away from this market for a while. What, what, what's the take in your, in your mind on Rollins? Yeah, I mean, again, so one is just the academic perspective it just has really dramatically changed. Like, I don't think I could get in here now. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm like, I, I say that. I'm like, what? <laughs> Who, what are these people doing? So, uh, you know, student collaborations with professors. I, I, I was like, I would have, no, that would have not been me. Yeah. But I feel like that has really changed. I've been really impressed by the dedication to community service that the college has offered to students and the opportunities for students to really be involved globally and locally is really fantastic. And look, the physical campus is incredible. I mean, I got, I have to say the things that have been done on the campus to try to create not just a learning environment, but just to understand all the different things students need in order to thrive in today's environment is really, really palpable. So, you know, you mentioned it at the beginning. And if I told you that Rollins had a brand challenge still to, to a degree in the community where there still are people who frankly don't know about Rollins, which still kind of baffles me, but, but I see it and I hear it. Um, or number two, they do think that we're this sort of exclusive school for, for wealthy kids. Um, would you believe it? And, and what would you do as somebody who's super, super, you know, uh, deep in this space to, uh, to help change those narratives? Yeah. So, I, you know, I think the, the number one thing is so if that's true, right, um, sometimes you have this brand legacy. And the question is, how do you lean into it rather than, you know, like how do you almost subvert that in some way? You know, it reminds me a lot of Ask. Um, at Ask, we changed from Ask Jeeves to Ask.com. And for the next five years, every year, one of the CEOs or, you know, execs would be like, do we need to go back to being asked Jeeves? Every year they ask this question. <laughs> so the question, you know, I would put back to you as the head of marketing is like, what is it about the legacy you can lean into? And I, and I, one thing that always struck me, even when I was at Crummer, too, is the amount of entrepreneurialism that comes out of the school. And yeah. how do you lean into that? And, you know, how do you help students tell the story for themselves about their experiences here. So, uh, you know, it's an interesting brand challenge right now for colleges because you're not competing just in the way you used to with like you send somebody a flyer in the mail and they learn about you, right? <laughs> right. You're competing like, well, what's the story that, what's the through line that you have from TikTok, you know, Instagram, like what is the through line across totally. all your social channels? What is the buzz in the places that you can't control? But I would ask, what are the things about the legacy of the college and the, and the pieces of that brand DNA that that we do need to lean into to to let people know. Yeah. And it, you know, you're right. It, we do have a challenge in that like it's a student I don't think I think that there's some dispelling myths. Like can you t- tackle those head on? Yeah. In in general, I think the college has done that and the students, right? The student profiling is is so compelling and um, amazing. It's so diverse and and so uh Interestingly, I'm at the front end of, of college recruitment with a son who's a junior, and we've taken him on a couple tours to different campuses just to sort of hear the story. And to your point, we're starting to get all these emails and messaging back from from schools. And as of now, it's still a little early, but Rollins by far, and it's not my department in, in admissions marketing, is amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's really good, just timely, content-rich, uh, subtle, you know, not overbearing, 
and just uh, it, it's super impressive. And so I, I kind of enjoy watching that as a user now. Well, you know, and I, I think about the college experience of looking with my own kids, who have, one of whom has already graduated from college. But the values of kids today are different, right? We literally, yes. I we went to a school in the Pacific Northwest who shall remain unnamed. <laughs> and my daughter literally was like, the only people I see on this campus are white. And so we're in this giant meeting with all the other you know, students on the tour. And Grace is like, tell me about your diversity. And they literally could not answer the question. So, you know, I, I contrast that with um, President Cornwall, where like one of his first meetings I was in with him, he just touted the diversity of Orlando as one of the reasons he wanted to come here. Yes. And the school has to be an embodiment of the community around it. So I feel like from this from the jump, you're already speaking to a lot of the core value yes. of, of students who are up and coming. Well, you said it earlier. It's a it's a I don't know that I could get in. I'm guessing you could get in. I have no doubt you get in. But to, it's a much better school today, on the whole, as uh, as it was, you know, years ago. And it just continues to, to to go in that direction, which is awesome. Carla, I can't thank you enough. I don't know if there's anything else you want to share or shout out. I should give a shout out to your brother, Xander Borsoy, um, a, a Rollins alum, a member of the varsity crew team, and a great uh, a great guy in our community. So um, we'll we'll drag him on one day as well. Anything else? Oh, I, I just love being here at WPRK, and I see that the stickers that uh, that we came up with when I was in undergrad, the stickers are still on the CDs. So Absolutely. that makes me feel like a, a program that we established was long-lasting. So always exciting to see little things like that. Your legacy is alive <laughs> yes, and well. exactly. I, I love exactly. it. Well, can't thank you enough. All the best. We'll see you around. And uh, for, for those interested, check out uh, thinkhum.com, and, and you can always find Carla on, um, on LinkedIn. I'm, I, I'm easy to find. I'm the only Carla. Carla Borsoy out there. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for joining us today for Rollins Around Town. A special thank you to Angel, our uh, third year student here at Rollins for operating the board and serving as our marketing coordinator for the show. Uh, keep up, updated on the show and guests. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Rollins Around Town and subscribe to our podcast, Rollins Around Town on Google, uh, Apple, and Spotify. So with that, uh, we say thanks and uh, wish you all a great day.